Hello and welcome to TNT, the technology and things podcast. Your host, Paul Ferraro, is a former IT exec and currently a technology advisor. Jeff Kruger, a fellow technology enthusiast, is the co-host. They both spent many years working for a Fortune 500 company and are both passionate about leadership, technology and the community. So, Paul, how's your new year going? It's actually uh, going pretty good. I can't believe we're almost uh, we're almost through the first month. Gosh, I can't believe it's January already, right? It was just January 2020 a while ago. And we were all canceling our trips into China. Now here we are, 2021. What cool places are we canceling trips to now? <laughs> we don't even we don't even schedule trips anymore. We just uh, we just stay in our in our rooms. Yeah, we're all yeah. in our burrows. Well, this is fun, Mark. Uh, it's uh, great to have the great Mark Campbell on our TNT podcast. This is our your first time, I think. I know, right? The first time on this podcast, well, yeah, right? Yeah. You said the great Mark Campbell. That puts a ton of pressure on me to be engaging and awake, um, you know, maybe more than I can muster, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. No, I'm excited about today. We've got uh, Sakiba Wan, who is a partner uh, for business development at Lightspeed Ventures. So uh, should be a great discussion with him. Yeah, no, he's a, he is a rock star. It's been a lot of fun working with him over the years. And some of the companies that uh, Lightspeed, of course, top tier venture firm up in Silicon Valley, they, they run into uh, a lot of diamonds in the rough and uh, bringing them to market and partnering up with us, getting them into customers and um, watching a select handful turn into household names. I, I think that's always fun. And Certainly, Sakov is right there at the cross crossroads of that, and very influential. It's going to be cool to get his take on on stuff. I've tried to come up with uh, some interesting questions that shed a little light behind the curtains. I think from the outside, venture capital is kind of this mysterious witch's cauldron that uh, writes checks and funds companies. But how does that all work? How does that come about? And uh, what are what are some of the secrets? Absolutely, Mark. No, I think that's uh, that's right on point, and uh, I think uh, Sakab is actually here, so we'll uh, we'll bring him right in the studio for it with us. Perfect. Hey, Sakab, hey. how are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you for having me. How are you guys? Doing quite well. You're in Texas today, or are you in Cali? I am in Texas. Yeah, in Frisco, a little bit outside of Dallas. It's a little cold and chilly up here, but uh, other than that, enjoying the nice little experiment that we have of uh, being in the valley and outside of the valley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, don't worry. It's pretty cold in San Diego too, guys. It's, uh, it's about 60 degrees outside. So I don't want to hear <laughs> Pretty cold for us. We have a big uh, winter storm kind of blowing through right now with some rain and, and some real chilly weather. So... Oh, that's right. I heard about that, that uh, you guys may get two years worth of rain in the next couple of days, right? So Yeah, that's never very helpful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got snow in my yard so uh, here in Colorado, so it's uh, maybe a, a little bit chillier here than uh, where you guys are. But who knows, right? That could all change in 24 hours. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. We, uh, we're super happy that uh, that you're coming on and and kind of giving us some insight into the into the venture world. 
for those maybe not familiar with the, the venture capital world, maybe you can tell us a little bit about Lightspeed and, and kind of give us a, a little overview of, of what that world looks like. Yes, Lightspeed uh, Venture Partners, we are a global VC fund. We've been around for over two decades now, and we have over $12 billion under management. And, you know, really the, the company, the VC firm started um, with this concept of trying to make uh, IT sexy, right? And really in investing in disruptive technologies because we saw that there was going to be, there's a huge sort of opportunity uh, in enterprise IT. Uh, so fast forward, we've invested in companies like uh, Informatica, Brocade, Riverbed, Nucera, Fusion IO, Nimble Storage, and then most recently, companies like AppDynamics, MuleSoft, Nutanix, uh, Zscaler are all Lightspeed portfolio companies. And you know, we also invest across consumer and uh, healthcare, but the DNA of the organization is really around enterprise IT and investing in things that are 10x, 100x better than you know, what, the, what the status quo would be today. Um, so we have over $12 billion under management. We have offices in India, Israel, China, uh, and then most recently in Southeast Asia and Europe. So we get a pretty good purview of uh, innovation and new technologies from around the globe and are able to invest across all stages from you know, a few folks thinking about an idea and wanting to build something all the way to you know, pre-IPO and, uh, and whatnot. So, um, so yeah, so that's a little bit about Lightspeed. Well, how did you wind up in the... Uh in the VC world? What was your windy path that led there? Yeah, you know, it's a funny story. I, um, it, it, was, it was coincidental, uh, really. You know, I was, so before Lightspeed, I was at a startup. Um, I'm Canadian originally. What brought me to California and the US was uh, I did my MBA at Stanford. After that, I went into consulting for a little while and then joined a startup uh, where you know, I was leading sales and business development for them. And around the time when I was looking for my next opportunity, I had started you know, cultivating the network and talking to all the friends and friends of friends. Uh, and really coincidentally, Lightspeed just pinged me uh, out of the blue on LinkedIn. And I started talking to the partnership and just starting to get to know them, really got engaged and interested in what they're building and obviously the track record for the organization. And I think they also were in hindsight looking for somebody that had worked at a fortune 500 company, which I had 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 professional services experience as well as startup and the knowledge of the ecosystem. So I think, uh, you know, what Steve Jobs said, right. It was like, sometimes when you're planning your career, uh, it may not make sense, but when you look back, the dots connect quite well. And yeah. that is, I think, what happened uh, with my me landing at Lightspeed. And I've been here now six years, and uh, I'm a partner here in uh, our organization, leading our business development efforts and really connecting our portfolio companies and subject matter experts and our investors with uh, CIOs and with the buyers and practitioners who are the market and represent the market. So what is like a typical day for you? Or, or maybe there isn't a typical day. But what, what are the types of uh, things that you get involved in? 
Yeah. So, you know, maybe I can tell you about what I did today. So since this morning in this new world of Zoom, I have had uh, three conversations with CIOs, uh, you know, one from UK, another one from uh, the East Coast here in the US and another one from uh, the, the Midwest here. And really talking to them and consulting with them on challenges that they're facing, what they are looking at uh, from an IT perspective, especially, you know, I mean, IT is never resting on its laurels, but especially with COVID and the remote workforce has been a tectonic shift in enterprise IT. So a lot of CIOs are looking for new solutions. So really helping them identify what those, what those are and connecting them where it's appropriate. Uh, later this afternoon, I'm speaking with a couple of entrepreneurs from two different organizations and helping them with their uh, go-to-market, with their pitch, how to engage with the right, uh, right customers at the right stage. So doing a lot of uh, you know, sort of advisory and, and consultations with, uh, with the founders. And then the other part of it that I also get involved in is um, uh, you know, bringing these forces together, right? So that could be through executive uh, meetings, that could be through conferences, uh, you know, or that could be through webinars, but really the goal is to create a platform for engagement between forward-thinking, early adopting IT executives, CIOs, CISOs, CTOs, and giving them a way to engage with what's happening in Silicon Valley, but more broadly across the startup ecosystem. So whether that's connecting with <coughs> founder or a specific startup, or talking about a theme with a, one of our investors, or getting in touch with a subject matter expert, like the, um, you know, in any given specific area. So really playing that connector role, uh, which I love to do. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually, uh, being able to, to, to drive all those different sort of, you know, the different people together, their different priorities, and kind of figure out how to connect the dots between, between those. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I think I have the best job in the world uh, <laughs> because in both cases, I'm trying to so help people solve problems. Uh, and uh, so, you know, let's just say I don't have too many controversial conversations with people, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think Mark Campbell has the best job in the world, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll have to compare, compare notes <laughs> on that. <laughs> so uh, I noticed that... Uh, Early on in your career, you were in the newspaper business. And, uh, you know, I spent a little time in the newspaper business also. It was mostly on the uh, delivery side of the, of the business uh, early on. And uh, I was thinking about it for myself. And in, it was sort of a foundational kind of a thing for me because I had customer interaction. You know, back then you had to collect the money uh, from people. You were like in sales. You were sort of delivery, all these things. I don't know exactly what you were <clears throat> what you were doing in the paper business, but love to just you know get your thoughts on that and if, and how did how did some of that time uh, back in sort of a very different kind of business uh, help you or or set you up for kind of what you're doing today? Yeah, yeah, that takes me back uh, memory lane um, quite a few years now. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was most definitely a foundational experience for me. You know, we all have to get our start somewhere, right? And uh, I think it's actually a funny story. I'll tell you how I got into it. Um, you know, I, I was in middle school, so I'm a first generation immigrant. I grew up in Canada. I'm one of 10 children. And uh, so, you know, as you can imagine, being a first generation uh, 
child with that many um, family members, just trying to figure out a way to survive and, and make, uh, make ends meet, right? So I was in uh, middle school in uh, grade seven, and I noticed that one of my friends, you know, I always had like cool gadgets and, you know, the latest uh, Nintendo game. And so I just asked him one day, like, you know, how does he get his parents to get those for him? And he ended up telling me that he actually sells newspapers door to door. So I was like, well, wow, there's actually a way to make money as a teenager. I'm in. So he, uh, that evening, I think it was a Thursday night, took me out and um, introduced me to his boss, uh, Brian Dawson. Uh, and, you know, they started sort of teaching me how to sell. I hadn't done anything of that nature before, but uh, I liked it. Uh, you know, it was rough work. It was all commission-based, you know, knocking on doors, door to door, trying to sell 13-week subscriptions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or the Toronto Star, the largest newspaper in Ontario, Canada. Um, but that's really where I got my start in sales. And, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think I made any sales the first couple of days, but I really learned the thing, the, the ABCs of selling. And, uh, you know, I couldn't wait till Monday because they weren't working on the weekend. So I actually ended up going and soliciting two high-rise buildings over Saturday and Sunday that, uh, that weekend. And I ended up selling five subscriptions and I would get $5 for every subscription that I sold. So I made 25 bucks over two days. Uh, so you know, that, was, that was like my first taste of like, oh, hard work and actually lead to positive results. And um, you know, when I, Monday I came and went selling after school, my boss was just uh, you know, floored that I had made a, essentially a week's quota over the weekend. And that was that was kind of you know that that's that that was kind of the beginning of my experience and interactions with customers, dealing with you know kind of really uh, having that resilient, hardworking mindset of you know the harder you work, you know the more the fruits of your labor that you can reap. And I was also very lucky, and uh, Brian Dawson was my boss's name that he became my mentor, and he was an incredible first manager that I ever had. So I also learned the importance of leadership and you know, developing people under you. So yeah, really foundational in, in many ways. I then also went on to deliver newspapers. So, you know, I'd, I'd sell newspapers at nighttime and uh, in the evenings after school, and then wake up early morning at three, four in the morning and uh, get, pick up my share of papers and go out and deliver them door to door in a, in a different area. So uh, but yeah, you know, incredible experience from that perspective, ended up paying, through college uh, with my savings, bought my parents a house by the time I was 19. Uh, so lots of wow. uh, incredible experiences that came uh, wow. you know, from, from selling newspapers and delivering. Oh, cool. Wow, bought your parents a house? Yeah, I mean, you know, with the down payment, I mean, I didn't pay it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but uh, helped buy that, uh, put the down payment down for our house, which they still live in. And uh, well, I need to have you talk with my kids. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good next step. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, I'm going to talk about something a bit uh, down in the uh, kind of the VC weeds a little bit. But about this time last year, we were hearing about a lot of venture firms uh, that had a surplus of dry powder. And then we started going into the whole pandemic thing, uncertainty in the markets. What do you do with all of this? Could you kind of go and explain a little bit uh, to the listeners what dry powder is, what the effects of that have been? Now we're a year later, how are we sitting and what, and, and what was the result? 
Yeah. Uh, so dry powder is essentially um, money that you have that you want to invest. It's always an intricate balance as a, as a VC or a PE shop where you want to have lots of capital, but then you don't want to sit on it. You want to be able to deploy it because that's when you're generating returns. Um, you know, our, our limited partners, our LPs gave us uh, the capital to invest, not to sort of sit on it as dry powder. Um, and so you're, you're right. There was a surplus of it in the sense that uh, there was a lot of uncertainty with COVID. Um, you know, people sort of stopped and uh, wanted to reset to see where the valuations go, where the technology goes, where the market goes. And very, very quickly, the market turned around, especially in tech, right? Like you saw what's happened on the NASDAQ, right? On the oh, tech heavy yeah. publicly traded index, the technology companies have um, outperformed the rest of the market by a significant margin in the public markets because everybody has realized that it's technology that will enable us to work, to collaborate, to do all the things that, you know, maybe we were used to doing in person before. Yeah. Uh, and so same, same thing has happened on the venture ecosystem, right? So we have seen, while there has been a shift in uh, uh, themes and where we invest, the valuations and the competitive nature and being, you know, and the rounds have continued to get larger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and I think that's probably going to continue for the foreseeable future, given that we all anticipate technology to play a very significant role in enterprise IT, in the way we work, in the way we collaborate, in the way we, you know, even live. Uh, so, so, uh, you know, so I think, I think it's a healthy, it's, it's back to a good, healthy balance in the market. So, so uh, speaking of that, like when you, when you think about, you know, you talked about sort of the tech side and, and some of the market opportunity, how does, um, how does the culture of these companies that you guys are, are looking at uh, weigh in to, uh, to, to the decisions that you make about investing in them or, or working with them further? Yeah, so you know when you look at venture investing, uh, and if you want to oversimplify it and look at it at a thirty thousand foot level, it's really about three things. It's about the product, the team, and the market. Do we believe that this team is the best in the world at building this widget? Can they attract the right talent to help them build this? Uh, the product, how you know great is the product? How unique is it? How well positioned is it? What is the moat here? What is the defensibility of the product? Uh, and so we do a lot of diligence on that. And then the third piece of it is the market. How big is the market? So that's the TAM, right? A lot of VCs talk about how big is the market? Um, where, is, is, where is it moving? Is it shrinking? Is it, is it not? How do we, uh, are we replacing something? Is it a rip and replace kind of a solution? Or can it sit nicely with other solutions? But really, you know, and then that's where um, a lot of the feedback and input from the market comes together in, you know, market being the IT buyers, right? In, in this specific case for enterprise IT. So CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, and, and their direct reports. And that's why you're starting to see a lot of, um, a bit of a proliferation really of these networks, right? Where all the VCs are starting to uh, engage with, uh, with customers a little bit more because we want to understand like, you know, what problems are you guys facing? What problems uh, are not met yet? What are you seeing in the market that, uh, that perhaps could be highlighted and, and we should be looking at as well? So I you think it's have to be more of like a full, almost a, a real time kind of a thing where you're able to get that feedback and you're not, you're not waiting too long or, or something. 
That's right. That's right. And so, so I think, you know, when you combine those three things together um, is where, you know, you can really uh, start hitting home runs with companies like AppDynamics and Nutanix and MuleSoft and Zscalers of the world, right? Uh, and, and to your specific question around culture, that's really all about the founding team, right? The f- founders and the entrepreneurs, CEOs in particular, define the culture. Now, we do a lot of work and, and help them and we have best, you know, best, uh, um, best cases and use cases that we, uh, best practices rather, that we share with everybody, with, with some of our portfolio companies. Um, but a lot of that really comes down to the founders and the CEOs and establishing that and building that out. Um, and there's always a fine line, right? Because we want to be helpful and supportive as much as possible. But at the end of the day, it is the founders and CEOs who are responsible for leading and, and running those organizations and building a right culture and, and making sure that they're able to attract the right talent. Because without culture and, and, and ability to hire the best people, you won't have the best product and the market won't be there either. Right, so right. that's I why at an early stage, you look at the founding team and, and you know, their backgrounds very, very uh, deeply. I would assume it sounds like you, you sort of depending on what stage they're in too, probably weighs into that. If it's very, very early on and it's a small team, maybe you're, maybe that's not as critical or maybe it's more critical. I'm not sure, but I, I, I assume as they, as you mentioned earlier, depending on kind of what stage you're getting involved, you, you're going to be looking at that more closely or more, maybe more worried about it, I guess, in some cases. Yeah. I mean, the foundational bricks that are you know laid at the early stages are the most important ones, right? Because that's where the the tower will be built. Um, and so absolutely, that is critical. And, and you know, it's, it's not uncommon to have transitions, right? Depending on the phase of the startup, whether that's within uh, employees and leadership teams to, you know, sometimes even founders and CEOs as well. Um, and I think the best founders know what they're great at and what their limitations are. And, you know, they initiate the dialogue uh, before anybody else even uh, thinks about it uh, from that perspective. Well, and you guys have got a terrific track record of hedging your bets on that by actually providing some some founders or folks that are from your your corporate ecosystem. The two I'm thinking of, of course, are Guru and what he did over at Avi Networks. And then, of course, you've got Bipple and the unicorn that he's writing right now. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how those kind of came together in the connections with Lightspeed? Yeah, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. I think a top venture, to be a top venture capitalist today, uh, you have to provide a lot of value and benefits beyond just the capital, right? Uh, capital, can't, you can get capital from a lot of different sources, but what you, when you're looking at a VC, you want to really look at their track record. You want to look at what services they offer to help you be successful. So in Lightspeed's case, for example, you know, go-to-market and customer access is one angle, right? That's what I lead. But we also help build teams. So we have an executive talent uh, partners that are helping our founders identify and then hire the right talent on their executive teams. We have an HR team that is helping share best practices across uh, all the different startups that we work with, but also across the industry. So like, if you're thinking about how do I distribute equity? Like, how do I onboard new employees the right way? How do I train them? What are the best retention mechanics and mechanisms? Uh, we have 
a you know, school of thought on that and, and people that can help you with that. We have partners on the marketing and PR side. So, you know, we've seen everything that's, that is replicable. We want to provide help and support on. Uh, and then the piece that you're referring to with Guru and Bipul is, you know, often the best VCs are operators themselves, right? So in Bipul's case, he was a partner at Lightspeed uh, and he had an incredible track record and saw that there was uh, an unmet need in this data backup disaster recovery space and got very excited about it, ended up building a team, left Lightspeed and now has built, uh, you know, many times over Unicorn in Rubric. Um, and that experience of having been on this side of the table at a venture capital firm, seeing uh, how organizations were built, you know, he was able to take a lot of those uh, learnings and, and able to build an incredible, incredibly uh, successful company. Uh, in Guru's case, uh, he was at Lightspeed, same thing, right? Saw an opportunity with Avi Networks, got really excited, left Lightspeed to go and help build that organization. Um, they got acquired and then he has now come back. So that rich experience that he's brought both from a, this side of the table, but the operating side helps him make much more uh, informed investment decisions. Uh, and then, you know, him being involved with his investments uh, and being a board member, you can just imagine like he's got very deep knowledge across uh, uh, across the different sectors, but also on how to build a startup the right way, how to talk to customers, and what the pains and 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 trials and tribulations that uh, a founder will face because he's lived that himself. No, oh, absolutely, <clears throat> you can't replace scar tissue. And actually, having uh, you know having been there in the trenches, it's super fun when talking with Guru and with Bipple, and of course there there are many others out there. Um, kind of getting both sides of the perspective, right? There's one that is like, hey, look, you know, from a corporate point of view, we want to do this, this, and this, except hang on, I'm not entirely sure that's fiscally responsible. Maybe there's a different strategy for that. And by the way, on the investment side, when evaluating the, the proverbial two guys in a PowerPoint that come walking in the door, looking at it and going, that's a terrific idea. By the way, you're going to have huge scaling problems in about a year. Let's start prepping for that right now. That, that's, that's immeasurable. Um, speaking of those uh, two guys in a PowerPoint, um, what are some of the differences you're seeing now compared to, let's say, a year ago, kind of pre-pandemic, on the types of companies? We've talked about two examples, for instance, Avi Networks and Rubric, that are both kind of in the, uh, uh, what I would call the heart and soul of enterprise IT, you know, IT operations, infrastructure, right down in the weeds. Are those still the types of companies you're looking at now? Or is the needle maybe shifted a little bit and there's other, there's other types of areas that you guys are wanting to saturate? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, deep enterprise tech and IT will always be a core focus for us because as you guys know, um, you know, things are constantly evolving, right? The needs are constantly changing. And so we're always going to be uh, a pretty strong player in that space. But to your point, I think a number of things have changed, right, with the pandemic and really accelerated a lot of different adoptions of different technologies. Um, look, we've gone uh, from never hiring somebody without meeting them in person first, to getting super comfortable hiring people, fundraising, pitching, closing deals, uh, all over Zoom, right? I, I was actually, in fact, speaking at a 
virtual conference this morning with a group of CIOs um, from around the around the country, where we were just talking about how, you know, they are now being pitched essentially by quote unquote inside salespeople, right? Yeah. Uh, because everybody's an inside salesperson now. So I think I think there's there's been a tectonic shift in the way we do business, but also in IT in particular. So some of the themes that have started emerging for us, which won't be a surprise to any of any of you or the listeners, is obviously, you know, we used to call it future work. Well, it's now the present of work. Like, how do we work? How do we collaborate? How do we create that culture and that um, water cooler conversation that is not easy to do with Zoom or in a virtual environment? So you're starting to see, uh, you know, even competitors to, to Zoom and video conferencing, right? How do we enable better, more engaging dialogue in that space? We've looked at some, so some solutions in that area. HR and HR tech has become incredibly important all of a sudden, right? You, back to your question about culture. Um, well, you know, my wife is now working at a all remote, geographically distributed global startup and she's running HR for them. So the challenges that she has to, you know, even do, oh, yeah. uh, you know, cultural events or, 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 you know, team meetings is very different than what we were used to before. Uh, so I think there's gonna be a lot of interesting things that happen in that area. Um, and just overall productivity, automation, um, you know, collaboration tools. I think all of those things are also interesting areas, but what all that means for if you're a CIO or CTO, CISO, an IT executive, or an aspiring IT executive, is that the role of IT has become central to the function of an organization, right? You guys have now become the nucleus of an organization. A number of CIOs that I've talked to uh, have told me that uh, they now have a seat at the table, at the board level. Right? Their positions have been elevated because of how important uh, IT has become. I and mean, we haven't even touched the uh, security, right? Especially oh, yeah. what happened with solar winds and the hack. Uh, so I think, I think that's actually, it's a really exciting time from that perspective to be a CIO uh, today because you've got marketing that's looking for IT and interesting you know, apps and solutions. You've got sales that's looking for sales tech. Now all of a sudden you've got HR that's, going to have a massive need for IT and, and technology to, to make sure that they can do their job well. So really, I think CIO has become the nucleus of the organization and it's a, it's a very exciting time. Um, yeah. On a more tactical level, you know, we've also, I think we're starting to see a little bit more of a proliferation of the bottoms up sales motion, right? So that means more of the open source organizations, more, there'll be probably, uh, people will be, uh, more open to engaging with open source companies and startups, um, which I think will, will also be interesting to see how that evolves and, and, and grows. Yeah, that, that is fascinating. And uh, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of CIOs that, that weren't getting the, you know, the attention or the ability to kind of connect with the leadership team and those things, that's obviously, uh, like you mentioned, you've gave, you've gave a ton of great examples there about why that's totally changed. You mentioned that kind of that that network uh, that people could look into that and get more information. How, how does that work? 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, anybody can, you know, uh, reach out to me and, uh, and I'm happy to have a conversation with them. Generally, what we are looking for is uh, uh, executives who are in Fortune uh, 1000, Global 2000 organizations who tend to be early adopters, who love to engage with startups, yeah. who want to know what's happening and, you know, uh, and maybe also be a little bit paranoid about being disrupted, right? Because everything is software now uh, and software is indeed eating the world. Uh, so yeah, but we tend to look for people that are uh, early adopting. Um, and then we do a bunch of different programming with them, all lightweight, really geared towards being value added to, uh, to, the, to the IT executives themselves. And happy to talk about that more in detail here or with the folks uh, independently. But I think, you know, I think it's, a, I think it's a, Great way, whether it's with Lightspeed or another venture capital firm or another group, I highly encourage uh, you know, each CIO and each executive to get out and build that network and understand where the next wave of technology is coming. And we've seen so many waves already, right? And what we're experiencing and witnessing today is another massive wave of disruption. And there's going to be lots of interesting technologies that will be coming out of this, uh, this wave once we're on the other side. So... I think I think you know it's it's our job to to get out and yeah. and, and scout for technologies and bring in the uh, the innovative solutions um, before before they inflect because that's really where you get a competitive advantage. So you mentioned something kind of interesting there. This coming wave, this this kind of uh, uh, seismic ripple that's going through not just the IT community but society globally. Um, certainly with these disruptions happening, if you're an IT executive out there, there, there's kind of this balancing act of the fear of being left behind by not jumping in and surfing on this wave versus, yeah, what technologies do I go grab? That company might not be even be around in a year. How do I separate the hype from the reality? And what's a good solution, bad solution? A lot of companies in the past, and it depends on the executive, of course, but um, th there's some that are risk averse. There are some that, you know, they'll, they'll give anything a try. But I think the vast, the hump of the bell curve, if you will, um, a little bit hesitant on startups. What advice would you give to an IT executive out there that is kind of watching this wave come along, as you described, knowing that their competitors are either taking advantage or at least watching it themselves? How do, how do they get on their surfboard and ride that wave? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great question. Um, and I'll answer it by giving you a little bit of a you know story so um the most popular course at uh, at stanford business school is uh what we all affectionately call touchy-feely it's interpersonal dynamics you can google it and uh, you know you'll find lots of things about it but really the goal there is to understand how you as an individual as a leader come across to other people and the way you do that is by having open dialogue and to encourage open dialogue, uh, Professor K Carol Robin, um, you know, what she told us, it was like, push yourself 10% beyond your comfort level. And if everybody did that, you would have, you know, incredible growth that will happen. And that is exactly what happened. I mean, you know, in this class, you go in thinking you're going to learn how, how you come across to other people and you start, you know, some people have epiphanies, others have some you know incredible insights into 
uh, you know, into their lives and experiences that they've had. Um, but that pushing yourself 10% beyond your comfort level is exactly the advice that I would give to CIOs is that wherever you are today, you know, I don't think there's such, th such a thing as like, oh, I am innovative or I'm not, or I want innovation or I don't, or my company allows me to do this or it doesn't. I think wherever you are today in that spectrum, push yourself 10% beyond, right? Beyond your comfort level. So if you're not engaging with any startup at all, go and talk to some VCs. Go and understand like what that landscape is. If you are talking to VC, like do a POC with one of the startups where you think maybe, you know, an incumbent has a equally good solution and you wouldn't lose your job by, by you know, as, as the saying goes, nobody lost their job for uh, hiring Cisco, right? Um, so maybe maybe give a startup an opportunity to do a POC and prove, prove that wrong. If you're already engaging with one or two startups, maybe see if you can engage with startups in other areas. So I think wherever you are today, just push yourself 10% beyond your comfort level. And one way to really de-risk a lot of this process is obviously to talk to your peers and, and crowdsource the knowledge of the expert network that you all have access to and see what is inflecting. Because I think there's a lot of incredible nuggets that uh, are in that. But the other way is to also engage with venture capitalists, right? So again, it doesn't have to be light speed. Uh, I'm happy to have those conversations because what we are doing is we're doing a lot of that legwork for you, right? We are looking at thousands of startups in any given year and then only making a handful of investments. Uh, so, so I think there's, and especially those that have um, a great track record on the enterprise side, there's, there's a handful of them. So there's not a, you know, that, that market is not infinite. Uh, go out and build relationships. And as I said earlier, you know, like every VC nowadays has uh, people like me in these roles because we understand the value of the market. We understand the input that customers and CIOs bring. So it'll be pretty easy for you to engage with, uh, with a lot of the VCs. And I think that's a great way to start understanding where the markets are heading, which startups are inflecting and, you know, hopefully jumping on the bandwagon before everybody else does. And my, my commercial plug here is if you want a very easy on-ramp onto that freeway, please contact Evotech Labs. This is what we do for a living. Yeah, actually, I was going to say, yeah, and, and that's a great reminder. I think, I think what you guys are doing at uh, Evotech, right, there's also partners, you know, VARs, SIs. Uh, again, we can talk about that whole model being disrupted, but I think the ones that have done well, you know, like Evotech, have been the ones that have really embraced this idea of, uh, engaging with technologies, engaging with VC. I mean, I've known you guys uh, at Evotech as an example for, I think, four years now, right? We've had a relationship, which is an eternity if you think about what's happened in, oh, yeah. in the partner, in the channel partner ecosystem. Um, but, you know, Jeff and the team ha had uh, clearly insight into like, hey, this is the way to grow. And so I think what you guys are doing now at Evotech Labs is just the natural next evolution of how partners how, frankly, customers will be looking for partners to do, right? Otherwise, how else are you adding value uh, into yeah. the ecosystem? So, so I think you guys are absolutely ahead of that curve. Um, and, and CIOs should be evaluating all of their partners with that lens. Amazing perspective, Saka. Really appreciate that. And I uh, hope Mark was listening on the push yourself 10% because we, we've been trying to get him to do that. And we, we, we say 1%, Mark, just every day you get better 1% or... <laughs> 
really appreciate your perspective. I, I would love to uh, have you come on again. Uh, you know, maybe in a couple months, we'll we'll do it again and we'll pick some other topics. Uh, so yeah, happy to. It's it's uh, uh, really enjoyed the conversation and uh, uh, you know love uh, love having a conversation with fellow CIOs. I've been doing this for six years now, and uh, you know it's it's always I'm always learning something new. I think that's what I love about the job. That's what I love about. Uh, working with CIOs and CTOs and CISOs and, and, and their direct reports. I think uh, the enterprise IT landscape is always going to be a very interesting landscape and is becoming more and more strategically important and of importance in the organization broadly. So I think there's never been a more exciting time to be a CIO. Uh, so yeah, would love to have these conversations and uh, happy to be back and thank you for having me. Oh, lots of fun. Thanks. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. This is, this is like, makes me feel guilty about cashing my paycheck because it's just like, this is just fun. <laughs> I'm trying to do this full time, Mark. Uh, yeah. So far, <laughs> not working out yet, but uh, one of these days, maybe one of these days. Thank you so much again and uh, have a great day and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you. Take care. See you later.